I'm standing in the tap room of the Tampa Bay Brewing Company in Ybor City. It's air-conditioned in here, but outside, it's the hottest it's been in months. A few feet from where I am standing with David Doble, co-owner of TBBC, there is a mangled metal tool on the wall. That was my, my longest brewing day I've ever had. <laughs> that was a 22-hour 20, day. Oh, man. Uh, just, I mean, oh, geez, it was, it was tough. Yeah. But uh, I had to put it up on the wall. I'm like, you know what? I, I earned that trophy. <laughs> yeah. Did it break on the day? Did oh, yeah, yeah. Like As that? I was brewing, so I got what's called a uh, stuck, stuck m- 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 mash, and I was trying to l- leverage the paddle through the grain, grain, grain bed on the door, and so you can see the first bend. So that's pretty much where wow. the door hit it. And uh, then the paddle itself on the end started bending, and uh, it was pretty funny. So ended up with this totally mangled paddle that I had literally <laughs> mangled with my own strength. It's one of many trophies hanging in the tap room of this bar. It's very quiet in here. Less than a week ago, after the number of COVID-19 cases spiked in Florida, the state mandated that restaurants and bars could no longer sell alcohol on premises if they usually sell a certain amount. For a tap room that sells beer made in-house, this could be a death knell, but the Tampa Bay Brewing Company has found ways to survive. Not only do their two locations also serve food, but their brewery is turning out cans of beer to cities all over the state of Florida and even some in Boston, Massachusetts. Here in the Ybor City location, the beer is still being crafted. They have been riding the wave of the coronavirus economy as well as they can, relying on sales of cans when restaurants were closed, relying on sales of kegs when they reopened, and now focusing back on cans as the state's restaurants reel from further changes. The company can survive it, David tells me. They've been through many changes over the last few decades since they were created in 1995. Johnny, David's brother, was really the maverick in the family. So you guys were always sort of doing stuff. He, it was started. it was all him. He yeah. was just one of those guys, man. He was always bored, so he's always like reading books and doing something. Yeah. And we were literally on the path to um, open up a, a fish fish farm, and we we're gonna. <laughs> he had the whole plans done and everything, <laughs> and we we're gonna raise. We we're gonna have a ch- chicken coop built over the farm <laughs> and like raise ch- chickens over the fish, <laughs> and basically the, you know, ex excrement from the chickens feed the fish fish, and so on and uh that's when tilapia first came out no that was the fish we were gonna farm and uh thank god we all kind of sat around like where we all brew (laughs) yeah the homebrew shop sucks so why don't we open up a homebrew shop they took the family's love for brewing and pivoted it into a business opening up a brewery seemed a natural next step for their passion Getting up and going was the real challenge. Nowadays, breweries are endlessly popular. It's estimated that there are close to 8,000 breweries nationally, and in Florida specifically, the Florida Rambler estimates that there are currently more than 300 craft breweries, including the Tampa Bay Brewing Company. Back when David's family was first trying to get TBBC off the ground, it seemed less sustainable than it does now. So, 93, we opened up our home homebrew shop 95 we're all kind of like well you know the homebrew shop has proved that there is a huge huge crowd here they're they're trusting us in beer is is also high because market share at the time of uh craft beer was 
Um, I actually tried to look it up before this. It was around 2.6. Sure. It was extremely low. Right. Um, so that means out of 100 people walking past your place, 2.6 of them are open enough to come in and drink your beer. The plan became not just to be any place where beer was made. The rule was to make a beer that was special enough that being special was part of the draw. But you had to appeal to a broad category of people, so in those early years, drawing people in was about offering them anything they could want. Beer is a surprisingly diverse craft, where people with a variety of preferences can come to a brewery like TBBC and find a beer that calls to them, specifically. For example, I prefer a sweeter drink, and because of that, David pours me a sample of their last days of summer beer, a peach and mango sour. Creating a drink like this one, he tells me, is not just about the craft of brewing the flavors together. It's also about making something that sets a tone. Part of the art is the feeling you're trying to portray in the, in the beer. I know it sounds very ab, ab, abstract and weird, but <laughs> brewers have, have a feeling that they're trying to brew into, 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 a, into a beer. Uh, me, the wife and kids, we love, we love to go out and go out and camp. Um, we were just up in Jenny Springs the, this past week, you know, and yeah, you know, you're outside, you know, it's hot, hot, hot as hell. You're sweating profusely, lo lo loving life, right? So you grab your tube, you grab some beer, you head out to the uh, to the spring, you step into the 70, 72 degree crisp wa water in there, you float down on your tube, and you open up a beer. And what is the beer you're opening? It's the peach and ma mango set. Sour, sour, which is the one that, that you have. Right. It's perfect. It, 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 it matches the water temp. It matches the woods around you. It matches how you feel. The drink you're drinking should be a compliment to the feeling. Florida's character is part of what they infuse into the style, but so is their specific location, Ybor City. Very, it's very rich, diverse. Uh, it's got a lot of hit, his, history here, you know, from the mob to the, to the cigar, to the cigar roll rollers and um it, it's kind of cool because we we've managed to to preserve uh uh eborn in a in a pretty pretty authentic way so we definitely feel it's a good place for us to kind of put our put our flag in the ground it feels good i mean we've we've had plenty of opportunities to leave here but we just can't it's it's in our blood and just as Ebor is in the blood, the DNA of this brewery, so too is beer and breweries in the DNA of Ebor City itself. You see, there are over 300 craft breweries in Florida today, but the very first brewery in Florida, built in 1896, was the Florida Brewing Company, just a few blocks away from the Tampa Bay Brewing Company's current location, right here in the heart of Ebor City. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, beer in Ebor, yesterday and today, and the legacy of creation in this famous and preserved town. One of the things I love most about Ebor City is its preservation. Anyone can walk down the streets of Ebor and know that this place has loads of history. 
Even though many of the storefronts have been turned into coffee shops or bars or pizza parlors or tattoo shops, the brick and stone betray a legacy that anyone can recognize. Lining the streets, peeking from around corners, are statues dedicated to generation upon generation of folks who passed along the city streets. Rising above all those buildings, however, the tallest structure in Ebor is the Florida Brewing Company building. It's a few blocks from the main track of Ebor, visible from the interstate. This building is a bright red brick pillar. The words Florida Brewing Company still faintly glow in white from the side. It is a very old building, built within the first years of Ebor's existence, before the people of Greater Tampa knew what this would become. In the mid-1800s, Cuba was recovering from a brutal series of conflicts. In 1868, the Cuban people began a revolt against the Spanish rulers that kept the island under their thumb. The resulting war was a decade long, leaving hundreds of thousands dead, but an eventual armistice settled the conflict for a year or so. With tension rising in the home of our southern neighbors, not only did Florida businesses get involved, but Florida itself became a crucial standing. Key West is only 100 miles from Havana, so it was only natural that soon, those fleeing the war and those supporting the war were using our southernmost spot as a launching point. One such figure who fled Cuba and went to Florida when the war broke out was a Spaniard named Vicente Martinez Ibor. It's a uh, quixotic story, it really is, though. That is Gary Mormino. I'm uh, Gary Mormino. I'm a retired history professor emeritus at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. Gosh, I've been teaching since 1974. Still teach, even though I'm retired. And have dedicated the last 40-something years to uh, figuring out Florida. He is an expert on Ybor City and its complicated history. He was thrilled when he heard my last name, Delisandro. Italian immigrants were one of the many populations that came through Ybor City and built lives here along with Cubans and Spaniards like Vicente Martinez Ybor. He's born in the worst possible moment in Spanish history to be 18. It's 1836. The Spanish Empire is crumbling everywhere. Central America, the Caribbean, uh, South America, there, there are revolutions. And if you're in the army, you're putting out revolutions, realizing that Spain, 100 years, 200 years earlier, had been the most powerful nation in the world, is becoming a, a, a second and later a third-rate power. Ibor joins the Spanish army just as the empire is beginning to crumble, and as a result, he's sent to Cuba just a few years before the island begins to boil over. Gary tells me that Cuba was a location that Spain couldn't afford to lose. Their production of tobacco and sugar was vital. It's there, in that booming tobacco industry, that Ibor finds his calling. But his first job is as a tobacco broker. He would ride through the Cuban countryside, this area known as the Vuelta Abajo, the best place to grow tobacco in the world. He, in a, through a process of more than a few years, he branded those cigars and then started opening factories, in, in effect, moving those people from the countryside to Havana. In 1868, war breaks out on the island. Ebor had become sympathetic to the Cuban independence cause, and Gary speculates that it was because an independent Cuba would mean more money for him. 
less taxes from the Spanish. Whatever his reason, he makes the move to Florida just as Key West begins to boom. Soon, the city was too much for Ebor, and he was seeking a place to create something new, somewhere that he could build from the ground up, with his company at the center. A friend of his invited him to Tampa. That city was prospering, and a railroad would soon connect Tampa to the rest of the country. With that in mind, Ebor brings his cigar company to the greater Tampa region, and a litany of Cuban and Spanish laborers and manufacturers follow. Company towns like this were extremely common in this era, with big corporations bursting towns into place specifically for their workers to live in. Ebor wanted to take this concept and make it even stronger, making it a place where more than just laborers would come to take up residence. The town was officially founded in 1885, and soon enough, new corporations and businesses started coming to its streets. By 1887, Ybor City was incorporated into Tampa, but its independence as a neighborhood never went away. The creation of beer is somehow both more complicated and far simpler than I anticipated. The things that go into beer are very simple, grain, water, hops, etc. I visited both of Tampa Bay Brewing Company's brewing facilities, their small one in the tap room and their huge production facility, and I soon learned that while the things that go into the production are simple, the details of each step are complex and precise. The first step is creating a mash, blending grain and boiling water into a vat and mixing it. So this is the first tank in the process. Um, so basically, we just take the grain, throw them up top here, pour in the bags. It gets mixed by these uh, pa pa paddles there. Typically sits in there for about an hour, 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 hour long. It moves directly into the next tub over, where water is pumped over the mash that was made to rinse off and create malt. The malt and water become a new substance called wort. That wort is the base, and they add hops and then yeast to different degrees in every beer. So now we've combined our malt, water, hops, and yeast, and then we allow the yeast, we create a perfect environment in there for the yeast to consume the sugars and create beer. It's either canned to be sent to distributors or it's put in a keg to be sold on tap. In the room we are standing in, which has a handful of tubs, pipes and tubes everywhere, and a general hum to it, beer goes from disparate ingredients, gets boiled and cooked and fermented and chilled until it is a smooth, golden drink. But, David tells me, it all begins with the water. One of the issues we have in this town is uh, Tampa water supply is a blend of three different sor 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 sources. And depending on the time of year is how much of what source is is is, is used. Sure. So the water profile cha cha changes here all the time. Right. Well, you know, ninety percent of beer is what it's water. water. <laughs> yeah. So you better have a very consi consistent su supply of water. This brewery has control over the water of what they're bringing in to create their product. Modern technology allows them to take whatever water from whatever supply and boil it down to create the pure ingredient that they need. It is an amazing modern advancement. This was not the case when the Florida Brewing Company was founded. 
Back in the 1890s, a few years after Ebor was founded, the cigar industrialists in town saw value in producing beer alongside their tobacco products. They raised the necessary cash, built the building right on the edge of town, and together opened this brewery as an additional industry in 1896. It is the very first brewery in Florida history. The cultural reason behind the creation of the brewery is a little unclear. Gary Mormino says that many theorize that the German population in Tampa may have contributed to the idea, though he himself does not believe this to be true. Since the company shipped most of its beer to Cuba, it's likely that they were creating a varietal of beer that appealed to Cuban taste, and the local consumers were their target. Its location is a little strange, so separate from the main street in town. This is because of its connection to the water source, a body of water called Government Spring. It is a natural source of water below the surface of the earth, buried beneath modern buildings in Ebor. It's one of the great mysteries of Tampa today. No one really knows where Government Spring actually is. It's below the brewery building, certainly, but its origins are lost to time. We know, however, why it was important in the first place. Government Spring was such a prominent body of water because it was the main source for the military encampment along Hillsborough Bay during the 19th century. That post was called Fort Brook, named for Colonel George Mercer Brook of the United States Army, who established the holding on the water. It was specifically constructed as a way for the army to have a foothold against the Seminoles who were trying to survive after the signing of the Treaty of Moultrie Creek. This treaty essentially promised that the remaining tribes that hadn't been decimated by war and colonization already would be given a swath of land where the army would not interfere. Most of Central Florida would become a reservation for them, made up of muddy land that was impossible to farm on. The army clearly wanted to keep an eye on that land. The troops on Hillsborough Bay would prevent illegal movement along the waters, but their plan was also to watch the tribe to the east. In 1824, the fort was officially dedicated. Over the next six decades, Fort Brook was a major focal point of the three Seminole Wars of Florida, where the Seminole tribes fought back against U.S. troops that began taking more land away from them after breaking the treaty. When the army broke that treaty, the Seminoles retaliated, and conflict ripped through the state, leaving thousands dead. By the time the wars were over, Fort Brook was no longer a viable military outpost, and the Seminole tribe had been reduced to a few hundred citizens. They had retreated to the Everglades. By the time Ybor City was founded, Fort Brook was no more. Today, there is a park where Fort Brook once stood, it's a glowing strip of green right near the Tampa Bay History Center. Just outside, there are a series of plaques dedicated to the history of Fort Brook and the Seminole Wars. A dome made up of four metal pillars that look like trees create a canopy overhead. It is called Ceremonial Space, and it was made by an Apache sculptor named Bob Hauzu. It's an amazing, quiet spot dedicated to those who died in the Seminole Wars. The fort may be gone, but its impact on our history is not. Standing under this fake canopy, it's hard not to think about that. And though the fort fell, Government Spring remained. What had been the central water source for the military soon became the main water source for the brewery. 
The water would be brought up the tower, and in each step of the process, the product would be slowly moved downward until the final product was complete by the time it reached the bottom floor. Gravity-based beer production was very common in this era, and the towering structure of the Florida Brewing Company building was part of that success. By the time it was functioning at full capacity, the brewery was making 25,000 barrels a year. Two years after their creation, in 1898, the brewery upped production to 30,000 barrels a year to supply the American military. The same conflict that caused Vicente Ebor to leave Cuba in the first place was now impacting businesses in the town he helped create. America got involved in the conflict and the Spanish-American War broke out. With endless lines of soldiers passing through Tampa to aid in the war, the Florida Brewing Company beer suddenly became one of the most essential products in town. Soldiers needed beer, and the company was glad to provide. Even Teddy Roosevelt, future president, made his way to the brewery on horseback. When the war ended, the ties that the company had created lasted. By the turn of the century, the Florida Brewing Company became a vital part of not just Ebor's economy, but the economy of Florida at large. But it didn't last long. If you owned a brewery in Tampa or Florida in 1914, you were already nervous because there was a growing prohibition movement. Most of, this, most of the counties in Florida were already dry. There was a local option. And this is a sizzling issue for Ybor City. Ebor, I think as early as 1888, said, if Tampa ever goes dry, Ebor City will go up. Florida had been struggling with the growing tide of prohibition for some time, as many counties had made the local decision to be dry counties, meaning there would be no sale of alcohol within their borders. When the Prohibition Act officially came down in 1919, Florida's revolt was widespread. Tampa in particular was an area that could not be restrained in such a fashion. The mere proximity to water allowed rum runners to bring alcohol in and out of the area with little to no interference. And while the brewery was important, it wasn't necessarily the alcohol that most rum runners cared for. The mob, who had shifted away from gambling and other ventures, were invested in making big money in the illegal sale of alcohol, and their best product was far more specific. But at the same time, people are also importing illegally rum from Cuba and the Bahamas, uh, illegal British, uh, Canadian brands. And Ebor requires a very unsavory reputation. In Ebor, speakeasies which were hidden clandestine bars were called blind tigers. They began to pop up throughout the streets. Dangerous characters would gather nearby, and it soon affected Ebor's perception to the state at large. And part of the thrill is, you know, you may see a murder. Now, it almost never happened, but it's the public perception that Ebor was a dangerous place. But you would have the occasional shootout and things like that, gangs attacking one another. And, and the sheriff was, was being paid off a lot of illegal payments. Everyone was getting dirty from prohibition. Vicente Martinez Ibor himself predicted this. If the city went dry, it could destroy the place he had created. And though he was gone, he was completely correct. When prohibition came to an end and alcohol could freely flow in Ibor without punishment, the organized crime did not go away. 
The brick walls that hid the violence and chaos that poured out of this city still stand, but the legacy of those crimes is a story for another day. David Dobble, standing in the tap room of his brewery, shows me a photograph. In it, there are 12 people, one of whom is his older brother, Johnny. This was a picture taken, and I'm not sure if it was 99 or 2000. This, this is my oldest bro brother here. Um, this was the entire Florida Brewers Guild. That was it. That was the entire state. That's that 12 people. Yeah, isn't that insane? And then Just around two decades ago, the brewing community was that small. David shares that today, with all the breweries and business around him, he is part of a community that is full of friendly and supportive faces. He himself didn't even intend to join this industry in the first place. His brother was at the front of the business when it was created. He had all the ideas back in the day, the chickens over the fish tanks, the construction of the brewery, that was all him. His brother, Johnny, unfortunately passed away in 2003 in a fire. After he passed, I, I came back and re-entered. Re sure. uh, but this is one of the books I actually salvaged from his house. You can kind of see the burns oh on my it. Goodness. <laughs> David suddenly places a book in front of me. It's an instruction manual from the Siebel Institute of Technology, which has a famous brewing school. It's charred black on the front with a square of non-charred paper from where a book had been placed on top when the fire broke out. It's just a shadow. David came back to the company after the loss of his brother. It's funny, when I, when I first came, came back here, it was more or less to, you know, con continue onward so I could basically extract my parents' cash out of it. Sure. I really did not want to re-enter re a, fam a family bu bu business again. <clears throat> it was 2006, I actually went to the zoo and um, we had, there was a fest there. I didn't realize there was gonna be a beer competition competition there but uh anyways one of the organizers of the event came around and i was trying not to drink that much either so he's like dave you won't believe this and i go what he goes you just won best of best of best of show and i'm like yeah be kidding me i'm like what do you mean best? i didn't even realize you guys were, you were judging anything and anyways it was really cool that's when it kind of all came to came to get, get together for me and i'm like you know what i really gotta like stop trying to serve a purpose beyond what I, I know to be my own and and what I'm what I'm trying to do with the beer stop brewing his beers and just brew today he is standing in front of a wall of medals awards for the success of this company and the beers he has created he made something all his own that's something to be proud of if there's a place to do just that it's Ebor City that original brewing company eventually shut down. The company sent most of its beer outside of Florida to our southern neighbor, Cuba, the very same folks that had helped create the brewery in the first place. But the rebellion led by Fidel Castro led to an embargo between the United States and Cuba, leaving trade between the two nations totally halted. The Florida Brewing Company never recovered from the loss of their most prominent source of income, and in 1961, the brewery was permanently closed. The building still stands. You can run your hands along the red bricks that have stood over Government Spring for 120 years. It still bears the name of its first occupants, though new companies have taken up residency within its walls. 
Much of Ybor exists in the same way. Old buildings with incredible legacies are now occupied by new bars, restaurants, shops, tattoo parlors. Even the original building that the Tampa Bay Brewing Company built has new occupants. They left that original space for the current and larger location, and the old spot is now occupied by Cigar City, another brewery in Tampa. Gary Mormino considers this versatility of historical space as one of Ebor's greatest strengths. Where, what's the greatest concentration of historic architecture in Florida? Historically significant architecture. And it's Ebor City. It's, it's not Miami. It's not downtown Tampa. I mean, in spite of uh, all the odds against it, urban renewal, fire, uh, new generations moving in, most of the great buildings still stand. This city, built by immigrants from Cuba, Spain, and Italy, prospered not just because of their ingenuity and creativity, but also because they built structures that supported one another. Ybor City is famous for having probably the strongest, healthiest, most vibrant associations of mutual support called mutual aid societies. Parts of the community are torn down, ripped away like an organ. But if you want to go somewhere in our state and feel history come alive around you, there's no better place than Ybor City. And even though beer is not being made within Florida's first brewery anymore, you're only a five-minute walk away from David's taproom. Ybor City is the vivid representation of a truth we all face. Just as modern Ybor is built within the skeleton of historic Ybor, so too are we all living within the structures and systems of times gone by. For better or more often for worse, we are here because of what came before. There is no going back and undoing the mistakes, the injustices, the failings, they're done. But we are still alive in our own personal Ybor City. What we choose to preserve and what we choose to change is at our discretion. But there's something I learned while walking through David's brewery. The recipe is simple. The process is hard. What comes out on the other side requires precision, artistry, and perhaps most importantly, the passion to create something distinctly our own. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you are brand new to the show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some really incredible stories waiting for you. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you don't need to go all the way back to the beginning. You can check out my episode from earlier this year about our state fair, which includes lots more about Tampa's fascinating history. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible, and it means the world to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com, and you can reach me at my personal Twitter at WFMNick. I look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a very special thank you to Gary Mormino. He is a wonderful historian. His work is so interesting and goes so in-depth on this amazing city's history. If you'd like to check out more, there is a link below. I'd also like to thank the entire crew at the Tampa Bay Brewing Company for taking the time to chat with me a few weeks ago. If you would like to check out more of what they are up to, you can do so at the link below as well. 
Thanks to Laura Nix for photography used on the social media channels. You can check out more of her art on Instagram at lauren.nix.photo. Nix is spelled N-I-X. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous music at the link below. Next week, I'm taking kind of a week off. In two weeks, it will be the two-year anniversary of Wait 5 Minutes, and I want to make it a very special episode. If you're missing the show, I will be sharing some of my favorite episodes from the past two years all over the social media, but I will see you for our special two-year anniversary episode on Monday, July 27th. It is going to be a big one. I am so excited to share it with you, and I'm so excited that you've been listening to this show for two years. I will see you in two weeks on July 27th. Until then, I am Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. Wear a mask when you go outside. And please, drink more water. Have a good two weeks.